0: Hello, Baker McKenzie welcomes you to Connect on Tech, a global podcast series covering legal developments on data, technology, privacy, and security that impact
1: your business. Here's your host, Brian Hengisbaugh, Global Chair of Privacy and
0: Security. We are very fortunate today to have Bill Rowe with us. Bill is a partner in the Chicago office of Baker and McKenzie who focuses on M&A and in particular M&A involving tech targets. Bill, welcome to the program. Brian, good to be here. So, Bill, let's start with the big picture. Are we seeing some trends going on right now in M&A, where it seems like companies are focusing a little bit more on tech or data as acquisitions for targets? Is that something you've seen develop? Absolutely. It wasn't that many years
1: ago that we were seeing mostly the Silicon Valley big tech firms being the leaders of tech M&A. But I saw a chart the other day that had 30 fitness M&A tech deals uh, in that one little space uh, that have all been done in the last couple of years, that's not abnormal for other industries like fintech, medtech. You know, there's even beyond you know retail tech. There, this has become a little bit of the next wave of how people are thinking about growth. Very
0: true. Okay, do you see anything particular with next generation intellectual property assets, and how do these really affect the types of M and A transactions that are being pursued?
1: So I think in terms of the actual uh, deals, we're seeing a lot more early-stage venture deals from people who in the past might not have really ever been acquiring an early-stage venture company. If you, for example, want an AI company to acquire an AI company, uh, you're often looking in uh, Silicon Valley or one of the other tech hubs, and those aren't typically uh, 120-person, 500-person companies. They're... You know, group of startup um, employees, and that means you're looking at transactions prior to revenue or about the time of uh, establishing revenue. So it's much more of a people deal that we're seeing. Those are the kind of transactions people are looking at these days. Is you know, getting the team involved. Some people call it even an aqua hire to help generate the next generation IP that's going to be necessary for the company's next phase.
0: How do you go about making sure that that talent stays with the company post-acquisition? I mean, if you're acquiring a target, particularly to get the people, how do you make sure the people stay? What if they don't like big corporate America? You know, how do you, what 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 types of incentives do you set up or how do you set that up?
1: So there's actual hard incentives and then there's soft incentives. And I think the biggest things we see, most people end up moving their way to the hard incentives. Uh, for example, many of these transactions involve earnouts. Uh, such that the valuation is partly tied to uh, performance of the product you're buying. Oftentimes, there's also signing bonuses or employment agreements with compensation included. But then we see the successful buyers really thinking about culture. Um, We see the successful buyers looking at messaging in terms of how they message changes with the business, how they message awards. And that culture process, I think, can start as early as the way you negotiate a deal. And that can help keep the people who are on the other side of that deal, who are also going to be your employees, who are the founders,
0: really invested in your future as a combined company. Oh, that's terrific. And then what about um, other types of issues? So what I'm seeing is I'm seeing uh, you know, a traditional brick and mortar company, a large enterprise, suddenly now looking at acquiring a tech target or you know, uh, looking for people, as you say highly skilled people are looking for data uh, or looking for technology. um, Can that be uncomfortable for the company? I mean, is that getting them into issues they don't normally deal with or at a level of detail they don't normally deal with? You know, we're seeing people
1: rapidly adjust to the different kinds of IP, but just broadly, you know, it wasn't that long ago that the only thing we ever spent much time talking about was the registered IP. Did you own the trademark? Do you own a patent? Um, You know, in the AI space and many of the new spaces, um, you're not so much thinking about right to exclude people. You're thinking about whether you have a right to use the IP that is in process. So whether you have generated enough of the software so you can continue to use it without infringing someone else's patents or someone else's IP. And I think that change from patentability to the concept that know-how in the minds of a couple people or the combined software, or even the data uh, itself and the right to use the data are the key assets and changing your diligence process so that you have a lot more of your resources focused on those key assets than you might, for example, real estate uh, leases on a technology company.
0: Very nice. Okay. And then what about um, the potential for fines? Uh, you and I were talking right before, and you know, my area is privacy yes. security. And what we always focus on is, for example, GDPR, assess the privacy fine. Typically the max runs to 4% of annual worldwide turnover. So if I'm a small company dealing in the digital space and I've got data or some technology, I don't really have a ton of exposure because actually my annual turnover is not that huge in the grand scheme of things. But when you have a large enterprise come in and acquire me, suddenly if I'm not doing something right, you know, the large enterprise four times uh, its annual turnover can be quite extensive. So How do the acquiring companies get comfortable or can they get comfortable with the potential risk of the targets that they're acquiring? Well, the particular fine you mentioned, I think, is still
1: getting a little bit adjusted to by the larger companies because for a very large company, that fine number can be almost unmanageable. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I was looking back through in in 2006 through 2009, we started to see in the realm of Foreign Corrupt Practices Act... Uh, some really large compliance fines that related to different conduct and bribery in different countries. And in the beginning, there was a sense that these were unmanageable. But as you work through transactions, I think we're seeing people adjust a compliance culture diligence to now more areas. So what I mean by compliance culture diligence is doing a risk-adjusted amount of diligence. So, for example, maybe on a small target, but you have a large privacy risk, you still do a lot of privacy diligence. You might also do interviews to look at their, their attitudes towards compliance. Do they? How are the founders, do they care about compliance? Are they thinking about this for themselves? Um, and I think we're also seeing now sort of a rise of a third-party due diligence supplement in terms of cyber breach, cybersecurity, data usage, in addition to legal, we're seeing some people look at this in terms of audit uh, and actually going back through the data transactions or going back through um, the the different kinds of you know, like black duck for IP in terms of people actually kicking the tires on all the individual rights. Very nice. OK, great, great,
0: uh, great suggestions there. Any other tips that you'd have for companies as they're entering into looking at acquiring tech targets? Yeah, I think. um The biggest one
1: that's unusual, I think, is uh, many of these companies are startups. And what that means is that they have very limited or very defined cash resources. So the transactions are faster in some ways than many others, um, because for many startups or tech startups, an acquisition is an alternative to financing. So if if a deal doesn't go through in a certain amount of time until cash is no longer available, they'll be looking at financing as an alternative. And so I think being nimble is one of the the best take homes. Um, and then being a little creative. I'm seeing, you know, these days in California, for example, non-competes aren't uh, don't aren't very enforceable in some areas. And the same is true for the traditional MAE out, uh, which is material adverse effect. I, I think people need to think about what they're trying to get out of the deal and make sure that they have sort of creative protections. For example you know, are are all the employees on board at closing? Or uh, do you have ownership of the software or data that you really need for the future? And how have you put the right closing conditions? And maybe it's a custom representation in there. So a little bit of speed and creativity, I think, are the ways that we're seeing successful buyers uh, look through that market and
0: deal with a slightly different footprint. Perfect. Uh, Bill Rowe, partner at Baker McKenzie Chicago and M&A and focusing on M&A uh, gathering tech. Thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our next
1: podcast when we connect on tech. For more information on data and technology, subscribe to
0: our blog at connectontech.com or visit our website at bakermckenzie.com.